0: So please open your Bibles to uh, Colossians, we're going to be in verses, or chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4 as Ian read for us. Uh, in his book, The Compelling Community, uh, Pastor Mark Dever uses Ezekiel's vision of the temple to propose a provocative question to us. This is what he writes, it's a chilling scene, Ezekiel is in exile in Babylon, but suddenly he sees the temple back in Jerusalem. The glory of the Lord, which had filled the temple since the days of Solomon, is pictured as resting on a wheeled throne, and the throne is supported by flying cherubim, and it begins to move. It departs from the most holy place. It stops at the threshold of the temple. It advances again, rising upward from the temple and then moving over the east gate until it's gone. The glory of the Lord has left the temple, yet nothing appears any different. The temple is still there. God's people are still there. Life continues unaltered. It's all the same, at least for now. What if the same thing happened to your church? Picture all the elements of community in your church your main weekly gathering, the Lord's Supper, small groups, accountability relationships, conversation after church, and so forth. Now picture the Spirit of God and His supernatural power rising up and then departing from your congregation. What happens? It's a question worth considering. It's a a scary question in some ways, but it's a question worth considering because this is what it puts in front of us. What is this community built upon? What is this community built upon? Or maybe another way to ask the question is, what is forming our relationships? So coming into 2020, when it comes to relationships, we face probably two predominant challenges. The first is, The social separation and isolation continuing because of the COVID pandemic. And the second is really the heightened sense of divisiveness and division that's in our world today. And if you take these two realities together, they really threaten to deform us when it comes to relationships. Now look, I fully acknowledge and don't downplay the fact that social distancing and social isolation are needed at times, and there is cause for caution and concern. But at the same time, if we're not careful, those realities can deform us in our relationships. They can deform us in a way where we start to isolate from one another, where we start to think we don't need relationships, and how this affects the church is we we start to think hey it's just me and my bible and jesus and i'm good and we start to isolate from other believers and we start to think we don't need the community of god when in fact we do the other issue is the divisiveness that we face, the the ways that we can be deformed in our relationships by the divisiveness in society. And so we live as those who are in constant turmoil with one another, who cancel and marginalize others, or we're deformed as those who kind of entrench into identity politics, whether it's race or class or gender or political party. And as much as we'd like to leave these problems back in 2020, they're with us Today. Uh, There there are significant issues that that were still very much a part of our lives in 2020, and this is in 2021, excuse me. And this is why we wanted to start this year by focusing on relationships. And now, this may seem kind of a, a funny time to do a series on relationships because they are so challenging right now. But actually, this is probably a very opportune time because it gives us the opportunity to step in and rather than the culture deform our relationships and us follow a trajectory in a broken way, we can actually sort of re-up with relationships, and we can focus on being reformed in our relationships through the gospel. And so January through March, we're going to be going through a series that we entitled Relationships Reformed. Now, it's kind of a cheeky title. I know I'm really bad at titling things, but it's the best I could come up with, (laughs) so sorry. (laughs) But the the idea behind this is that how the gospel reforms us in our relationships. And so we're going to be using Colossians 3, 1 through 4, 6 as our anchor text. And so kind of like we did over the spring and summer in Romans 8, we're going to use, we're going to kind of do an extended meditation, kind of a deep dive in this one chapter, this one section of uh, scripture. And really throughout this series, underneath all the application that we do, uh, under all the sort of the practical aspects of this, here's really what I want to drive home. Two main points. One is we were created for relationships and we absolutely need each other. And two, the gospel is what reforms us from those who relate to each other in broken and sinful ways to those who relate to each other in godly, Christ-like ways. And here's my prayer for the series, church. Prayerfully, prayerfully, the relationships of First City Church will be formed, deeply formed. We'll have deeply formed relationships that are Christ-centered in our unity and Christ-like in our love. And in that, we're a counter-cultural community that is attractive, that, that raises questions, that people see the relationships of First City. And and how they are built upon Christ and have been reformed by the gospel. And that causes people to ask questions. And, and, And we are able to declare Jesus to our community because of the relationships that we have. And so I'm praying that that is the fruit that the Lord bears in this series. And so this brings us back to my original question. What is our community built upon? What is forming our relationships? Is it something supernatural or something of our own design? Like When you think about the relationships that you're forming, are you forming them in your own power? Are you forming them in Christ-light ways or Christ-less ways? Are your relationships drawn merely by human commonalities, things like political party and race and class and gender and age and stage of life, whether you're married or not or have kids or not or how you educate your kids? Are Are your relationships being formed in your own power Or are they being formed by the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit? Do your relationships need the gospel and the Holy Spirit? Or are your relationships so shallow that you can just do it on your own? Gospel-reformed relationships, spirit-transformed relationships, community defined by Christ-centered unity and Christ-like love that attracts others and pushes back brokenness and evil in our world is something utterly supernatural. Something we can't manufacture in our own power. And that is this, the supernatural power that the Apostle Paul points us to in Galatian, or excuse me, Colossians three, uh, supernatural reality that transforms us as individuals, transforms our community, and a power that actually enables us to walk in gospel-reformed relationships. And so here's the main point that I want to draw from our text this morning: Because we have died to sin and been raised with Christ, our community has been transformed. And when we seek the things above, our relationships are reformed. Let me say that again. Because we have died to sin and been raised with Christ, our community has been transformed. And when we seek the things above, our relationships are reformed. And so let's unpack this main point as we go through Colossians 3, 1 through 4. But before we get to that specific passage, I want to set a little bit context for us in Colossians, because we're, we're actually kind of picking up the book sort of at the tail end, at the letter, the, the end. And so I want, to, I want to set chapter 3 within the context of the entire book. And so in this letter, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he's sounding an alarm against false teaching. False teaching had, and false teachers had entered into the church, and they were trying to influence these Christians along the lines of what Paul calls earthly things. Or earthly things are kind of his catch-all phrase for the, the, the type of false teaching that it entered in. And then in Colossians 2, Paul fills out a little bit what he means by earthly things. Well, in, what, in what way were, were earthly things manifesting themselves in the church? And so in Colossians 2.8, he talks about empty, hollow philosophy based on human thought and tradition. In Colossians 2, 18 and 19, he talks about spiritual knowledge and insight and even spiritual experiences that are completely disconnected from Christ and his word and his authority. And then in Colossians 20 through 23, he talks about religious rituals and bodily discipline that are born out of human commands and teachings, things that may appear to make you wise and disciplined and moral, but have no power as he writes in verse 23 all these things although these things have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion false humility and severe treatment of the body they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence so the problem with earthly things is really twofold one they're powerless they're powerless cuz they're passing away. As Paul writes in Colossians 2:22 that, that these things are of the earth and so like the earth they're passing away. And so there's no hope in them. There's no salvation in them. There's no power in them cuz they don't last. But even more so. Even bigger. These the, the things of the earth have no power because they are disconnected from and don't belong to Christ. The earthly things as Paul says in Colossians 2.8 and 17 and in verse 19, are Christless, disconnected from the head who is Christ, disconnected from his life and his power. And so here's what we have in earthly things. In earthly things, we as humans, when we chase after them, we are chasing after things apart from Christ. So we're chasing truth apart from Christ. We're going after morality apart from Christ. We're going after spirituality and spiritual knowledge and insight and even spiritual experiences apart from Christ. We seek joy and life and peace apart from Christ. We chase salvation and reconciliation and redemption apart from Christ. We try to build our society and community and relationships apart from Christ. Look, Paul warns against the things of the earth because they're powerless, but more precisely, they're powerless because they're Christless. And so look, as we head into 2021, as we start this year, at the beginning of the year, there's just kind of this natural built-in sort of reflection point, right? Like we, we take stock of where we are, we think about last year, and we, maybe we make some New Year's resolutions, and if you did that, great, and I hope you keep them longer than two weeks. But, but let's, let's take this moment... Let's take the opportunity of reflection here and be honest with ourselves. Like, really honest. Like, well, let's not pretend, let's not, let's not think of like, how we hope to be or wish we were, but just right now, in honesty, are we chasing earthly things? Are we being formed by earthly things? Like Are we chasing knowledge without Christ? Are we trying to find morality apart from Christ? Are we seeking life and joy, and hope, and peace apart from Christ? are we looking for salvation without Christ? are we looking for justice without Christ? Are we looking for reconciliation and redemption without Christ? Like, are we chasing things that pass away and that do not save, and that do not transform, and do not bring joy, and peace, and love, and do not provide a secure and lasting hope? Can we be honest this morning? Are we chasing earthly things? And can we do this, brothers and sisters, because I know how we are, because I'm this way far too often. Can we be honest about the ways that maybe we sprinkle a little Jesus on top of our earthly things, thinking that, yeah, Christ is the center? Like, can we be honest about the ways that we we spend our money and the way we spend our time and the devotion of our hearts and and really our, our work and our marriage and our parenting and our sexuality? I mean, you think of the entirety of our lives, Are we sprinkling a little Jesus on it and calling it content, but in all the while we're being formed by earthly things, or does Christ have our hearts? So just as God's word through the Apostle Paul sounded this alarm to the Colossians, God's word sounding an alarm to us. It's pointing us away from earthly things. It's exposing earthly things for the powerlessness and Christless things that they are. But here's the good news for us this morning. Here's here's the great thing about God's word for us this morning. It's not just that it sounds the alarm and says, hey, earthly things, they're powerless. Earthly things, they're empty. There's no hope there. Not just sounding the alarm. It's actually pointing us to something greater, pointing us away from the earth and pointing us to Christ. It's lifting our gaze, lifting our hearts to where life truly is, where glory truly is. Look, the blazing center of the book of Colossians is the supremacy and preeminence of Christ. That Christ is all. Christ is the center. Christ is the foundation. Here's what Paul writes in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, that we profess this morning. That Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Far above these earthly things that you and I chase after sits Jesus Christ, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who is truth. Jesus Christ, who is goodness and declares goodness. Jesus Christ, who holds all spiritual knowledge and wisdom and insight. Jesus Christ, who is life and joy and peace and salvation. Jesus Christ, who brings true reconciliation and redemption. Jesus Christ who is a secure and lasting hope. Like God's word holds out for us the preeminence and supremacy of Christ this morning because if we're gonna talk about building relationships, if we're gonna talk about our relationships being reformed and transformed, if we're not building on Christ, then it is a foundation of sand that that we're wasting our time here. And so I, I want us to just stop here for a second and consider the supremacy of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the centrality of Jesus, because it's to that truth that the Apostle Paul points us in Colossians 3, in verses 1 through 4. He, he highlights four very important truths about who we are in Jesus, about the difference that Christ makes, about how, how Christ in his preeminence and his supremacy transform all things for us and all things for our relationships and our community. And so I just want to walk through these and highlight them. And so first, as Paul writes in Colossians 1, 3, he says, we died. We died. Now, now Paul isn't writing to physically dead people. He's not talking about physical death here. But he's talking about a death to sin and to self and to really to the earthly things. So friends, listen, the life that you need the hope that you need, the joy that you need, the, the power that you need, the, the redemption and reconciliation that you need, the peace and the joy and the love, the hope, all of that doesn't come from your moral improvement. It doesn't come as you try harder and do better. Like, Look, following Jesus, making him glorious and him the center of your life, isn't, it tr- isn't about trying to be a better person. If that's how you've reduced Christianity Friend, you're missing something so much better and so much bigger. Look, we don't turn from earthly things by being better and trying harder. That's self effort. And you know what self effort is? It's part of the earthly things. And you don't escape the gravitational pull and the enslavement of earthly things through the method of earthly things. So, friends, We don't need to do better and try harder. We need to die. like Our old self and its sinful desires and our love affair with the earthly things doesn't need to be cleaned up. It needs to be killed. And in Christ, that's what happens. In Jesus, our old self is put to death. What what Paul declares in brief in Colossians 3.3, he gives more detail in Romans 6. This is what he writes in verses 2 and 3 and then in verse 6 of Romans 6. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. For you who are in Christ, here's the good news of the gospel. When Jesus Christ died and went into the grave, you died with him. Your sin, your old man died. When Christ went into the grave, he took your sin, he took your shame, he took those earthly things and he killed them and they died with him. Our old self has died if we are in Christ. And the good news is that if our old self has died, it means that we've died to sin we died to earthly things. They no longer have power over us. They no longer are our master. They no longer control our hearts. And so here's the hope we have to see our relationships transformed and reformed. Your hope is not do better and try harder. Your hope is you have died to your sin. Your hope is that sin no longer masters you and has no longer control over you. That's the hope for us in our relationships. Praise God that in Christ his supernatural power has put to death our old man. But not only have we died to sin and died to our old selves, we've been raised with Christ, as he says in verse 1. As Romans 6 verses 4 and 5 also tell us, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection just as christ died to sin but was raised to new life we have died to sin but now have been raised to new life in christ this is our hope friends we've been raised to new life god has forgiven your sin he has canceled its debts you are fully forgiven but what else has he done he's broken the power of sin he's given you new life resurrection life The Holy Spirit now dwells in you, and through the Spirit, Christ dwells in you. His very life is your life. His resurrection power is your resurrection power. Mm -hmm. Friends, the very day Christ was raised from the dead was the very day your new life began. This is who we are. This is what it means to stand in Christ, to be in Christ. You no longer live by your own power. You no longer live by the power of earthly things. You live by supernatural resurrection power. This is the hope we have for our relationships that we have to ask ourselves this question. If this is the power we have, if we have died to sin and we've been raised with Christ, why do we still walk in earthly things? Why are we so tempted to keep our face in the dirt rather than look to Christ in his glory? So we've died our old man has died, we've been raised with Christ, but our life is hidden with Christ in God, as Paul writes in verse 3. This is an interesting statement. It's the only place in the New Testament that this statement is made. So, so what, is, what does Paul mean by this? Well, that our life is hidden with Christ in God means there is an aspect of our life that is yet to be revealed. Like, while we have died to sin and we've been raised with Christ, like, we still live in this time of tension, the already not Yet. We've died to sin, but we still face it. We still have to battle it. We still have to fight it. It's not completely over and done with. While we have resurrection power now, our bodies are still dying, and and if the Lord doesn't return, we're going to die. And so there's an aspect of resurrection power we haven't experienced yet. So there is glory, and there is power, and there is life yet to be experienced. It doesn't mean that they're not ours. It just means the fullness hasn't come. And here's what this also means. The greatest truth about you The greatest aspect of your identity, the the greatest reality about you, you can't see right now. You can't fully see. You only experience in part. Like what we see is we see the mess right now. We see the work in progress. Yeah, we see grace, but we also see a, a lot of sin and we see a lot of dysfunction and we see a lot of mistakes and a lot of suffering and sin. But who we truly are in Christ, what is hidden away with Christ in God, is something glorious something we haven't seen yet, we haven't experienced yet, but it's true of you 100% right now. Your life is hidden with Christ, and so this gives us hope because while we experience the ongoing brokenness, sin, suffering, and pain of our world, while we experience the often painful and slow process of dying to self and becoming more like Jesus, like we take hold of these promises. We take hold of the promises of God that we have life in Christ, that, that is what, is mo- what is most true about us is not the sin in the mess, but who we are in Jesus, the glory that we have in Jesus. The, the fact that we have died to sin and been raised with Christ, no matter how messy we get, we rest in this truth. Our life is hidden, and that life is guarded and protected and kept safe with God this is what we hold on to in the midst of seeing our relationships reformed, because guess what? It isn't going to be easy. It, it, we're going to see a lot of pain, and so we have to fix our eyes on something greater, put our hope in something greater, take hold of it by faith. And so we walk in the great hope and this expectation. We, we don't need to turn to earthly things, because our life with is with Christ. So we've died, we've been raised, our life is hidden, but as, he, as Paul says in verse 4, One day, one day, when the glory of Christ appears, our glory will also appear. As Paul writes in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. Look, one day, that life that is hidden, that one day, that that life that we can't see, that that is ours, but we have yet to experience, one day we're going to experience it. The fullness of who we are in Christ will be revealed. We'll we'll see it. We'll experience it. Hey, friends. Hey, friends. There's this great trajectory of your life if you are in Christ. You've died to sin now. You've been raised with Christ now. And amidst this time of suffering and sin, you're experiencing that life. But when Christ returns, then the fullness of that comes, the fullness of joy, the fullness of life, the fullness of his resurrection power, the fullness of glory. So this is what we take hold of, that the death to sin and life in Christ That that what we experience now, look, it's this great unstoppable power that bit by bit is transforming you. And yeah, sometimes it may seem imperceptible. Sometimes it may be taking slower than you would like, but it is working and God is faithful and it's going to keep working and it's going to keep working until one day, boom, it's going to burst forth in fullness. One day when Christ appears, Christ who is our life appears and his glory appears, we're going to be in glory. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, if we were to see our exalted states, we would probably fall down and worship ourselves as something divine. And his point there is that the glory that we are going to experience is so great. The, The transformation we're going to experience is so great. That is our hope. And that is the trajectory of our lives. And so as we think about seeing our relationships reformed, as we see our relationships being transformed by the gospel, this is our hope because this is our end. But well, we, we step forward in faithfulness and we fight for our relationships and we fight for change and transformation. We, we don't retreat and we don't give up because we know that the, when Christ appears, we're going to be glorified and that is our end. And so we have every hope. And so let's bring this full circle. Uh, that Christ is all. That in Christ we've died to sin and died to earthly things. That we've been raised with him in walkness and newness of life that our lives are hidden with Christ and one day will be revealed, look, this utterly transforms everything. This changes everything about our lives, everything about our existence, everything about who we are and how we live our lives. And so if we have been set free from sin and earthly things and we have a new identity, a new life, and new hope, and new power, it means we give our lives something. And if we have been transformed, what does that mean? It means our relationships have been transformed. Our community has been transformed. Not a square inch of our life has not been transformed. Friends, Paul's concern here in Colossians 3, and really the whole entire letter, is not for individualized, isolated Christians living on their own. His concern is for the community, for relationships, for the, for the people of God in community, He's not writing to this Christian over here by himself on an island. No, he's writing to a group of people in relationship together. He is concerned about the way earthly things are affecting relationships. Friends, too often we read the yous in the Bible as you singular, when far more often it's you plural. We read you as me rather than you as we. And so we need to do a better job of reading the yous as plural. Paul is saying, hey, you together have died. You together have been raised. You together, your life is hidden in Christ, and you together will be glorified when Christ returns. This is a communal declaration. This is a declaration that transforms our community and transforms our relationships. Look, as we're going to see starting next week, Colossians 3, 5 starts with a therefore, and everything that comes after it until the end of the section we're looking at has everything to do with relationships. It's all about community, all about living in relationship. So the supernatural truths of Colossians 3, 1 through 4 supernaturally reform relationships to create a supernatural community. Let me say that again. The, The supernatural truths of Colossians 3, 1 through 4 They supernaturally reform us and they reform our relationships in order to create a supernatural community. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to see that the supernatural truths of Colossians 3, 1 through 4, that that we've died to sin and earthly things and that we are raised with Christ, they supernaturally reform us from those who used to relate to others through sexual morality and lust and greed and anger and slander and deceit to those who now relate to each other in purity and love, and generosity, and forgiveness, and kindness, and encouragement. From those who based relationships on mere earthly commonalities to those who are bound together in deep relationship in Christ. From those whose relationships were defined by earthly things to now whose relationships are defined by worship of God. And look, no matter the type of relationship, no matter the type, the gospel transforms, the gospel reforms our relationship That we're dead to sin and raised with Christ transforms our relationships. It gives us hope in our relationships. It gives us power to walk in love and kindness and patience and humility and forgiveness. It empowers us to give our lives so that others may know Christ and we can build them up that they may find their life in him. So church, because we have died to sin and been raised with Christ, our community has been transformed. And that we have died to sin and been raised with Christ means something for us. As as Paul writes, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Since our life is in Christ, we seek the things that are of him. We set our minds on where he is and who he is. Look, we're no longer enslaved to earthly things, but we're set free so that now our minds and our hearts can be given to heavenly things. Now, let me, let me be clear about what Paul's not saying. Paul is not saying, be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. He's not, being, he's not saying, hey, just detach from reality, detach from this world, just think about heaven and don't worry about what's going on here. No, Paul is, in, in his way, is saying the same thing Jesus said when he said, seek first the kingdom of God. He's saying, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, where is Christ? Heaven, seated at the right hand of God sitting down as the king. And so we are to seek the things that are above, seek his kingdom, seek the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, set our minds on Christ. like Our minds and our hearts are to be formed by him and who he is and his ethic and, and his righteousness and his goodness and his truth and his beauty. This is about giving our all to be formed by Christ to seeking him that we may be transformed by him. If these things are true for us, if you are in Christ, and look, you're different now. You belong to a new kingdom. You belong to a new age, a new life. You belong to the kingdom of heaven, the age of the spirit, resurrection life. So set your mind on those things. Set your mind on those things. And friends, when we set our minds on the things above, when we set our mind on Christ we set our mind on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, our relationships are reformed. Like when you set your mind on Christ and you die to yourself and you die to things like selfishness and pride, when you die to performing and trying to impress other people, when you die to trying to compete with other people and appear more spiritual than other people, when you die to things like anger and lust and hatred, When when you die to things like unforgiveness and holding grudges, when you die to all of that, what happens? Your relationships are reformed. Friends, when we set our minds on the kingdom of God rather than the politics of man, guess what happens? Our relationships are reformed. When we set our minds on love and kindness and peace and generosity and patience and humility, the things that we have in Christ, guess what happens? Our relationships are reformed. And here's what else, when we set our minds on the things of Christ, when we recognize we've died to sin, we've been raised with Christ, our life is hidden, it sustains us in the mess, because I guarantee this, as we walk, we seek to grow in our relationships, it's going to be hard, it's going to be messy. Look, maybe all of your relationships are going perfectly for you right now. I'm not there, but maybe you are. But <clears throat> guarantee this, at some point you're going to experience conflict. Yeah. some point you're going to be tempted to withdraw. some point you're going to be tempted just to dig in in anger and pride. And at some point you're going you're to want to just say, no, screw this whole thing. Yeah. But when you set your mind on the things of Christ and you recognize you've died to sin and, you're, and you've been raised with Christ and your life is hidden with him, you can stand in the midst of the mess because God's grace will meet you. His resurrection power will meet you. The power of sin that has been broken will transform you in that so you can walk in righteousness. And so friends, when we set our minds on the things above, our relationships are reformed. And so First City, look, the challenges, the relationships we're going to face, they're not insignificant. They're hard. They're challenging. Both just the mess we experience interpersonally and the cultural things that are pressing down on us. But we don't have to be overcome by them. Well, we don't have to be deformed by them. Through Christ and the life we have in him, the community of First City can be defined by deep, meaningful relationships that put Christ-centered unity and Christ-like love on display. In a season when our culture is experiencing much relationship deformation, we can experience gospel reformation. But this only happens through Christ. So in all the practicals that we get into, All the ways we're going to talk about, hey, we need to repent and we need to change habits and we need to work out our salvation and all of those practical things. Let's not lose sight of Jesus. Let's not lose sight of the supernatural power that we are experiencing and that we're in in the midst of. Let's not lose sight that Christ is our life, Christ is our hope, Christ is our joy, Christ is our power. Let's not lose sight of that Jesus is the exalted and preeminent and supreme one. If we are going to see our relationships truly reformed, supernaturally reformed, then Christ must be exalted in our lives and exalted in this community. And so, friends, let's put our hope in Christ. Let's put our, find our power in Christ. And let's experience the supernatural transformation that makes us a supernatural community. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.